Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. John chapter 1, we're continuing our study in our Set at Liberty series, looking at the disciples. Last week we looked at Simon Peter and looked at the fact that he was up, he was down, he was all around, but we thank the Lord that he grew in his Christian life and that we may identify with Peter as he was in the Gospels, but really we should look to follow his instructions in the very last verse of Second Peter, the last words that we have of him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, uh, we're actually going to look at Simon Peter's brother, who is not as well known, but is an encouragement to us and instructive to us in many ways, and that is his brother, Andrew. Consider this. There's a story told of two brothers who were rich, but were very wicked. They both lived a very wild life, using their wealth to cover up the dark side of their lives. They attended the same church, and they gave large sums to various church-related projects. Suddenly, one of the brothers died, and the pastor was asked to preach his funeral. The surviving brother gave the pastor an envelope, and he said, here's a check that will pay for the entire amount needed for that new sanctuary, and I only ask for one favor. Tell the people at the funeral my brother was a saint. The pastor wanted the check, but he didn't see how he could make a statement like this. But then he had an idea. So he gave the brother his word that he would do exactly as he said. He deposited the check in the bank, and the next day at the funeral he said, this man was an ungodly sinner, wicked to the core, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. I like that. I like that. You know, as uh, we look at Peter, uh, and we consider Peter last week, and we consider Andrew, in many ways, he's the saint compared to his brother Peter, because Peter is up and down, like I said, and all around and Andrew was a bedrock in many ways. Now, this doesn't mean Andrew was perfect. He certainly uh, was not. But it does mean that while Peter was known for struggles in the Gospels, Andrew was known for one thing. In fact, if we were to boil down Andrew's life to one thing, and one thing alone, it would be this. He was a man who brought people to Jesus. When we look at Peter and we identify uh, how he had his ups and downs in his spiritual walk, if we were to boil down the life of Andrew to one thing, it was this, he brought people to Jesus. And if you could be known for one thing, wouldn't it be great to be known as someone who brings people to Jesus? Well, we're in John chapter 1. You please stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. John chapter 1, if you're able, John chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse number 25. I'm sorry, we're going to begin in verse number 29. Not the 25 is not great. You can look at it later. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And of course, this John is John the Baptist. And he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descendeth, and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw 
and bear record that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist, in no unequivocal terms, is saying that Jesus Christ is God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God, repeating what he had said the day before. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode there with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, being about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And if you were to boil all of this down, everything we have just read, you could really just take the verse, part of verse number 42, and he brought him to Jesus. If we were to summarize Andrew's life, it would be this, and he brought him to Jesus. So the title of my message this morning is this, Andrew, the fisher of men. Will you be seated as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time. I do pray that you would just be with us today as we look at Andrew. May we be instructed. May we be set at liberty in our discipleship walk by studying him today. And may we be who we should be for you uh, by being the fisher of men, by being the Andrew, by being the one who is known for bringing people to you. Thank you for this time. And we ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. So who is this man, Andrew, who we see named in our text? Well, let's start here. Andrew's name in the Greek means strong or manly. How about that? How would you like to be named strong, manly? I mean, that's a great way to start right there, isn't it? Andrew was known at his very core as a strong or a manly man. And certainly, uh, we would understand that that would be the case because his way of living was also to fish like his brother Peter. He no doubt was in business with his brother Peter, and he was a strong man. He was a fisherman. In many ways, uh, he was much like Simon Peter, but in a lot of ways, he was also the exact polar opposite of his brother Simon as well. But he was still a strong man. He was still uh, a man of the sea. I think in many ways, or I think rather, uh, it's very likely that he was the younger brother of Peter. If you were to look at the lists of the disciples that are found in the Word of God, and there are several of them in the Gospels, uh, Peter is always mentioned before Andrew. In fact, even when there's discussions between them, Peter is the one that seems to have the preeminence, and then Andrew uh, is after. So if you are a younger brother together or today, or a younger sister, and you feel like you're under the shadow of those who are older, uh, you can know a little bit about how Andrew might have felt. Me being an only child, I got no idea what that means. But uh, uh, if you are a younger sibling, certainly you would have a little bit of an understanding of how about Andrew felt about his brother Peter. Believe it or not, Andrew is only mentioned 12 times in the entire New Testament. As much as we see Peter as a key figure, not just in the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, Andrew is only mentioned 12 times. Four of those mentions are simply part of lists where he is mentioned as, well, one of the disciples. So really, we have only eight unique places or eight unique mentions of Andrew where we get to learn a little bit about his character or we get to learn a little bit about 
who he is or how he presented himself uh, during that time. He comes onto the scene early on in the Gospels. I mean, John chapter 1, he is mentioned right out of the chute without really being mentioned in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's mentioned as a disciple, but really not much as else is mentioned about him during those times. But here in John, we start with this gospel and right away uh, he is mentioned. Uh, however, despite the fact that he's mentioned so little, you get the idea that he was one of the more prominent of the disciples. When you see lists of the disciples, oftentimes you find that they are in a certain order. The order is not always the same. But the groupings kind of seem the same. For instance, you always see in the first grouping of the disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Now, they might be in different orders, but the first four that are always mentioned are Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And some believe, and I may subscribe to this as well, that's because they were the most intimate with the Lord. It seems like the Lord did much with the four of them, and really particularly with the three, Peter, James, and John. And so Andrew, however you look at it, uh, was the younger brother of, I believe, of Peter, and also one of the more intimate of the disciples with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ invested very much into uh, Andrew, I believe, despite the fact that we see not much of it of him uh, in the scriptures. But the text that we just read also reveals another important point about who Andrew is. Andrew didn't start as a disciple of Jesus. Did you catch that in our text? He actually didn't start as a disciple of Jesus at all. He started as a disciple of John the Baptist. It says that he and another unnamed person followed Jesus. There are some who believe that other unnamed disciple of John the Baptist would have been John because John has this way in speaking about himself in his gospel where he mentions himself, but he doesn't always mention himself by name. So it could be that John and Andrew were both disciples of John the Baptist. And they were waiting for the Messiah. So that tells me that they had some sort of idea of spirituality within their life. That as far as the Jews went, some were passively waiting for the Messiah. Some were waiting for the Messiah because of the political gain that would come with that, overthrowing the Romans. And some were simply waiting for the Messiah because they were waiting for the kingdom and they truly were earnest and zealous for the Lord. And it seems like Andrew was that man, that he was following John the Baptist, literally waiting for the time when John the Baptist would identify the Messiah so they could follow him. And there's John the Baptist. He's standing very likely by the shores of the Jordan River. And Jesus Christ uh, comes by for the second time. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And, and Andrew and this other disciple look at John, and they look at Jesus, and they look back at John, and they look at Jesus, and they say, We're following you, John, because we're waiting for him. But now that he's here... We're going to follow you. And so what do they do? They take their leave of John, and the Bible tells us that John is not bothered by this at all. The Bible makes no mention of it. I'm assuming John is pleased, the fact that the forerunner that he is of Jesus Christ uh, is only to take the place, uh, to, to make the way for Jesus. But now that Jesus is on the scene, he has no problem with people following because as he would say later in John 3.30, he must increase and I must decrease. So Andrew was a spiritual man in the sense that he was already waiting for the Messiah. I would probably put it to you this way. He was a lot more spiritual than his brother Peter. In fact, there might have even been a little bit of tension between Peter and Andrew. Remember, they were in a fishing partnership together. They owned a boat. Uh, they were uh, out there working together. But we don't see Andrew working on the boats right now, do we? What do we see him doing? He's out there searching for the Messiah. 
He's out there in the discipleship class of John the Baptist in the desert. In Peter's mind, maybe Andrew's not even pulling his weight. Could you imagine being 50% a partner of a business and not showing up to the business because, well, there's a revival meeting you've got to go to every day. So I believe there's probably some tension even between Andrew and Peter in the fact that Peter uh, was this rough, rugged fisherman. uh, And Andrew, well, he had lived that way as well. In fact, his name indicates that. But he had already kind of eschewed that a little bit and says, no, I'm not going to do that right now, Peter. I'm actually going to put that off to the side because something exciting is going on in Israel. And John the Baptist is preaching and John the Baptist is baptizing. And he said the Messiah is going to come and it's going to happen at any time. And Peter, I want to be there when it happens. And so maybe there was even some family tension between Peter uh, and Andrew. Uh, Andrew was, one, was called by one preacher, the first great missionary. And I think when you look at Andrew's life in the Gospels, I think there's some credibility to that. I think there's a, a reason to consider that Andrew was the first great missionary that we see in the Word of God because he was always bringing people to Jesus. You know what I find interesting about Andrew? He wasn't electric. He was magnetic. He wasn't electric. He was magnetic. Listen, people talk about Peter. Why? He was electric. I mean, sometimes because he was touching the third rail all the time and doing things he shouldn't be doing. Uh, But he was electric. I mean, Peter was out there in charge. Come on, boys. Let's go, even if it's to the death. And he was following the Lord, and he was loud. And when he wasn't following the Lord, he was loud. Uh, When he was quitting on the Lord and going a-fishing, he was loud. He was electric. Andrew wasn't that. He was fine being in the background. He was fine not being the one out in front of everybody. He wasn't electric, but he was magnetic. What was he doing? He was always pulling people towards Jesus Christ. He was taking people that were out in these various orbits, and he was bringing them into the gravity of Jesus Christ and bringing them to him. That's all you ever see of Andrew. He wasn't a firebrand like Peter, but he was quietly working in the background to bring people to the Lord. Sometimes I think we think that it has to be the loud ones, the ones that are out there uh, making the most noise, that they are the ones doing things for the Lord. But may I remind you, when Peter uh, was up and down and when Peter was spiritually uh, bold and then when Peter was spiritually weak, there was Andrew, quietly, magnetically, bringing people to Jesus. In fact, I see three distinct times where we see Andrew do this. That's why Andrew is that man who brings people to Jesus because three times in the book of John alone, we see him bringing people to Jesus. And the first one is this this morning, if you're writing these down. Number one, he brought his family to Jesus. He brought his family to Jesus. And we see that in our text right here, don't we? I do believe there might have been some tension uh, between Andrew and Peter uh, because of the decisions that Andrew had made uh, spiritually. I believe there probably was some tension between Andrew and Peter just because they had different personalities. You know, I have four children. And uh, again, being an only child, uh, I didn't understand how the dynamics of siblings worked. I mean, listen, I learned how to play board games by myself. Uh, there I am growing up doing that, and Melissa uh, doing the same. Uh, we're growing up, we, we, didn't, we didn't know what to do. She's an only child as well. You know, just, uh, you, listen, you haven't lived till you can play Monopoly by yourself, and, and you always win. And the game goes a lot faster than if you play it with someone else. It's the only way Monopoly goes fast is if you play it by yourself. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting seeing four children now, particularly my two oldest, because their personalities are so different, seeing the dynamic between them. And there can be friction. Two opposing forces. Uh, there can be friction between uh, that. And I know you all, many of you have grown up in homes where you had siblings. I know this is a surprise to you, that there could be friction between siblings. Uh, but this is the way that it was, uh, I believe, with Andrew and Peter. And so Andrew's already made decisions spiritually that Peter may not understand. 
How do I know that? Well, because Peter didn't decide to go follow John the Baptist too. Andrew decided, I'm going to follow John the Baptist and wait out the Messiah. Peter says, well, in the meantime, someone's got to pay the bills. In the meantime, somebody's got to fish. In the meantime, somebody's got to keep this business from sinking. No pun intended. So what do I do? There's probably a little tension, a little friction. But what happens? It's amazing to me that when Andrew finds out that this is the Messiah. In fact, look again at what it says in verse number 40. It says, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, when? First. He first. You know what that means in the Greek, first? First. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is to be interpreted the Christ. He first found his brother. Can you imagine? Maybe Andrew for just a moment thought, listen, I found the Messiah. I found the Christ. But if I bring my brother, he's going to suck all the oxygen out of the room. <laughs> if I bring my brother, he's going to be the main event. I know how Peter is. I know how loud he is. I'll have found him first, but he'll walk around here like he was the one who found him first and like he's in charge. Maybe for just a moment, he thought, you know what? There's some friction between us. Maybe I shouldn't bring it up. You know what? Maybe he's not very spiritual because he's not following the John the Baptist like I was. Maybe uh, he's going to just take over everything. So maybe I shouldn't. But it says this, first, he went to his brother. Despite the fact that there would have been some difficulties in him giving the gospel to his family, he says, I go to my family first. And it isn't amazing sometimes that we're willing to send money all around the world for foreign missions. And I'm glad to send money to England or to Papua New Guinea or to South Africa or even faraway places like Connecticut. I'm glad. I think it's right and it's good and it's biblical that we do that. But can I tell you, if we do all of those things and send hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to Papua New Guinea over the years, but first, we don't reach those in our family who maybe we have some friction with or maybe that we don't get along with or, or maybe that we don't see eye to eye on things or maybe that think we're spiritual wackos or, or maybe think that, that we're religious nuts. Uh, but yet we realize that those are our family and, and that the greatest gift we can give them is not something you give them at Christmas. It's not inviting them to a Thanksgiving dinner but the greatest thing you can do is first to go give the gospel to the people that you love the most and that's what he did he found him yeah, i know we haven't talked for a while i know things haven't been exactly been great between us but can i tell you i found something to change my life and it'll change your life too what if andrew had withheld that information from peter how different would our bible be today oh the gospel still would have been disseminated because that was god's plan but yet at the same time the whole tenor of the Bible, of the New Testament, would be different if Andrew had withheld that information. The first people we want to give the gospel to is the family. If we neglect them, then that we've missed it. Well, how will they react? Can I, can I, without being unkind or glib about how I say this, you don't know how they'll react. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. I'd say unless you have a crystal ball, but you know that wouldn't work either. Unless you have the omnipotence and omniscience of god you don't know we give the gospel he brought his family to jesus but i also see this number two he brought a he brought a child to jesus he brought a child to jesus i'm, I'm going to make you work for your lunch today all right you got to turn your bibles all right john chapter six this morning john chapter six is everybody okay today that didn't reassure me very much all right that's okay i mean that's okay I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here today. It's a blessing. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. 
They brought a child to Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this, but children are loud. Children make noise. They break things. I was a youth director for seven years. And one of my lowlights of my ministry was the night we had an all-nighter at the church. And I had to call Pastor Turner, the pastor that I served under, at seven in the morning. And say, by the way, don't worry about anything. But one guy's head went through the drywall. Those are words they never prepared me for in Bible college to be able to put together and be able to give out to people. Uh, but that's what happened. <laughs> they cause damage. They cost money. Sometimes we can be impatient with children. You know why? Because they're not adults. And we feel like we can interact with adults and there's understanding. And sometimes with children, you can say something. And after 10 minutes, you say, what do you think about that? And they say, what are you talking about? But you know, Andrew didn't just give, bring uh, his brother to Jesus. I think it's important that he brought a child to Jesus too. And that comes from the feeding of the 5,000. Will you look at me with John uh, 6, verse number 1? After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Tiberias, rather, and a great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Now, were they following him sincerely? I don't believe they were. I mean, at least not all of them, because it says they followed him because they saw the miracles. Jesus knows this because he's Jesus, but yet still had compassion upon them, even knowing that many were insincere. It says, and he went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lift up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And as I mention often here uh, in this pulpit, is that anytime God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't have the answer. It's because he's trying to get the person who he's talking to to verbalize, to say out loud what they're already thinking in their heart, to get them to understand where they are off. Hey, Philip, what can we do about this? And he answers and he says, well, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. He says, could I summarize his answer? Why are you asking me? What can I do about this? If we gathered up all of our money together, we don't have enough to make sure that everyone had a cracker. What are we going to do about it? But then verse number eight, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother saith unto him, There is a lad here, hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? You know, Philip only saw a problem. What did Andrew do? He says, I don't know what you're going to do with five dinner rolls. And by the way, those loaves were more akin to a dinner roll than they would have been a loaf of Wonder Bread like we would get today. And two fish would have been dried and, or pickled fish, either dried or just pickled so that it would be preserved. Uh, more of the size of a sardine than it would have been like, you know, a nice piece of salmon. Ooh, lunchtime's coming soon. Uh, but uh, here he says this. I don't even know what this will do. But I'm going to bring this boy to Jesus. Children in that culture, even more so than our own culture, were seen and not heard. You don't bring, bring children to Jesus. 
you remember that there were children who were brought to Jesus later on, and many of the disciples said, no, don't bring them up here. And Jesus said, listen, don't hinder them, because the kingdom of God is for such as these. But here is Andrew, who says this, I see an opportunity to bring a child to come into the orbit of Jesus Christ. All he has is some bread. All he has is some fish. It's not enough. 200 penny worth wouldn't be enough. This is even less than 200 penny worth. It's just five loaves and two fish. But I know this, there's a boy who's willing, and there's a God who is able. And so if I'm going to bring that boy to the master and only he can do what only he can do. And not only did he feed them, but there were 12 baskets of fragments that were left over when he was done. Why? Because there was one man who was willing to bring a child to Jesus Christ. Listen, children's ministries are loud. You know why? Because my children are in them. How do I respond to that? Uh, The truth. You say amen. Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Thanks, pal. Um, Children's ministries are loud. They cost money. We're going to go out Saturday into Brockton, and some of those kids are going to sass mouth us. Yeah, they will. They've probably never known, you know, gone out to an activity like that, maybe, or, 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 some, or a church activity or something. Uh, they, they might even cuss. They might even say something inappropriate. And I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying that might be what happens. And so we might hesitate to be able to enter into that orbit with them. But may I remind you why we enter into their orbit? Because we want to bring them to Jesus. We want to change their life. Listen, changing babies' diapers in a nursery, it takes work. That's a gift from the Lord. I'm, I'm serious about that. I'm not even, to, to be able to, to work in a nursery and to change a, a, a child's diaper so that mom or dad or mom and dad can sit in the, in, in, the, in the preaching of the word of God and have a little bit of rest, that's a gift. Why? What you, what you doing? You're being Andrew. Help bring people to Jesus. Working in a junior church, working uh, in a Sunday school class, growing out our junior church and our Sunday schools. What are we doing? Being an Andrew, we're bringing people to Jesus. That's what Andrew did. He said, I don't even know how this is even going to work. But if I just bring him to Jesus, he'll work it out. No, who would have thought we'd have young people? Now, there's three young people in our church right now in in Bible college. Who would have thought? But, you know, there were people that invested in these young people and, and talked to them and, and helped them. And we have young people here who have grown up and now, now aren't in Bible college, but they're serving the Lord and they're in church and they could be so many other places. And I'm thankful for that. Why is that? Because there were people who were they're younger, invested in them and said, listen, I don't know what to do for you. I don't understand all the things. I don't even know what's going to happen to you. And to be honest with you, uh, it's, it's amazing. You can be one adult with five kids and be scared out of your wits. I've stood in that class before and thought, if they realize I'm outnumbered at any point, I'm done. But what do we do? We just bring him to Jesus. Amen. We bring him to Jesus. See, he brought his family to Jesus, and he brought a child to Jesus. He also brought the Gentiles to Jesus. Ever think about this? The Gentiles. John chapter 12. You're doing great. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse number 20 says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Of course, when we say Gentiles, Greeks, we understand that a Gentile would just be a non-Jew. And so these Greeks would be considered Gentiles. There were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Well, Philip doesn't know what to do about this. This is scandalous. Greeks, Gentiles, that want to come see Jesus? 
You say, well, I don't know that it's that big of a deal. Have you read the first chapters of the book of Acts? It was a big deal. Uh, and Peter was the one who had to break down the barrier of that, uh, first with the Samaritans and then with the Gentiles. Uh, so this was a big deal. And Philip kind of locks up here. He knows, you know, they probably should see Jesus. There's no reason to withhold them to see Jesus. But at the same time, they're Gentiles. And what will be the ramifications of the Gentiles coming to see Jesus? So he doesn't know what to do. What does he do? He brings them to Andrew because he knows this. Andrew's a guy who knows how to bring people to Jesus. He says, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to react. But I know this. Andrew knows how to bring people to Jesus. And look at what it says in verse number 22. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Andrew knew what to do. Come on, boys. Hey, ladies. Come this way. There's someone I want you to meet. Oh, can he do that? They're Gentiles. Well, they need to meet Jesus. And so here is Andrew, despite knowing that it could be sensitive, despite knowing that it could be scandalous, despite knowing that there would be some who just would not understand, maybe even among the disciples themselves. Uh, he said, I know who these people are. And despite that, and because of that, I want to bring them to Jesus. And so he could look at nothing else other than I want to bring him to Jesus. No, we don't have an issue today uh, with uh, Jews and Gentiles in the essence of that whole thought process is foreign to us because well, we're probably looking at a bunch of Gentiles who are here today. So we don't understand the animosity of that today uh, here in our culture. But could I say uh, uh, that depending on what side of the aisle you're on, uh, it might look at the other side of the aisle like Jews looked at Gentiles and Gentiles looked at Jews. That those who are conservative may look at those who are liberals uh, and say this. They say, well, they don't think like me. They don't act like me. They don't talk like me. Uh, they have a completely different mindset. It's like I can't even speak to them. It's like they don't even understand. And now you're talking like Jews speaking about Gentiles. There's a lot of similarities there. Well, what do I do with these people? Well, you do what you do with everyone else. You bring them to Jesus. You do what you do with everyone else. You bring them to Jesus. Well, we need political reform and we need social reform. Well, I'm not necessarily against those things. But it's not the solution to America. The solution to America is Jesus Christ. And so you're, you're, way before you see me out there carrying a placard and way before you see me out there uh, uh, carrying the political banner for, for a, even a party uh, or an individual, I'll tell you this, uh, I'm going to carry the banner and I'm going to carry the placard uh, of Jesus Christ. I'm going to lift high the cross because I know this, if I only have a certain amount of time in this life and I don't know when Jesus is returning, uh, the time that I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend making sure that I push forward the agenda of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote. You should. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be part of the process. You should. Uh, but when we take the process politically and we think that's what's going to change America, we've missed the point. And here's a man who hadn't understood the animosity. Oh, he, mm, he understood the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And maybe he even felt a little bit of it himself because he'd grown up in that situation. But he said this, none of that even matters. They just need to go to Jesus and Jesus will take care of it. I, I'm for uh, us being uh, pro-life. I'm for that. We need to be for that. But I'll tell you this. You know what will solve all that? Bringing people to Jesus. I'm all for biblical marriage. I'm all for teaching uh, that God created them, man and women. I'm all for that. But I'll tell you what will solve all of that. 
It's bringing them to Jesus. I'm all for these types of things and these types of issues. Uh, but, but we don't need uh, another ballot initiative. We don't need any of those things because even those things, even if they passed, don't change the hearts of man. Andrew understood this. If the Gentiles are going to get it, if these Greeks are going to figure it out, no offense to Greeks, by the way. I tried to go to the food festival last week. I missed out. So I'm really sad for nine years in a row now. Uh, I've missed out. He do bring them to Jesus. That's what it was about. Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. He paid for it with his life. The Bible doesn't tell how Andrew's life ended. But Fox's Book of Martyrs records this about Andrew. He preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations. But on his arrival at Edessa, he was taken and crucified on a cross. The two ends which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the term St. Andrew's Cross. Our Lord and Savior was crucified on the cross. Peter, as we saw last week, denied the typical crucifixion and asked to be crucified upside down because he did not want to identify, found himself not to be worthy to die in the manner that Peter did or that Jesus did. Andrew had the same feelings. He was a man. He was strong, as his name said. And he denied being crucified upside down. But literally, his cross would have been laid to the side. Today, that figure called St. Andrew's Cross. Why? Because that was the method of which he would have died, would have been just as cruel, if not more cruel, than the typical crucifixion. As his body was literally trying to fall down and ripping itself, as he still struggles for every breath, but can't even go vertical because he is diagonal. What a man. What a life. And it wasn't just because he was a manly man, a strong man. It's because he had Jesus. And he knew he needed to bring people to Jesus. He wasn't electric, but he was magnetic. When we consider this, he brought Peter to Jesus. He may not have been. His brother was probably an interesting character to get along with. But he knew he needed to tell his brother about Jesus. Have you told your family about Jesus? Have you told them lately about Jesus? Did they say no five years ago and you just figured that's going to be no forever? Did they say no a while back and you just decided that that door is closed? It's easy to do because it's just a comfortable decision to make. Because who wants to try to break down that door again and again? But I have a feeling Andrew and Peter at first didn't really see eye to eye. But he knew this. There's one person I need to talk to before I talk to anybody. I've got to talk to my brother. My brother needs to know. By the way, some of you have been trying to reach your family for some time. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep sharing. God will honor that. It's not about being electric. It's being magnetic. Showing the love of Christ to your family. He brought a child to Jesus. When others thought there was a problem that only the big people could solve, Andrew said, here's a young boy with an open heart and a lunchbox that's full. I bet God could use him. And he did. Do we have the Lord's heart and the Lord's hands for the young as we do for everyone else? You know, 
young people don't really tithe. And if they do, it's usually in coins. Young people don't add to the treasury of the church, if you will. They diminish it. Young people can interrupt a service. Young people can do all manner of things. But they need Jesus. They need Jesus. So what do we do? Like Andrew, we bring the young people to Jesus. Change a diaper. Teach a class. Come alongside a young person. Mentor them. Help them. The young people in your family, children, grandkids, nieces, nephews, give them the word of God. He brought strangers to Jesus. They weren't just strangers in the sense they didn't know him. They lived strangely compared to him. The Greeks lived totally different than the Jews would have. They talked different. They ate different. They had a different mentality. They had grown up under the Greek culture, which was so far removed from the Jewish culture, they might as well have been from different planets. But despite the fact that Andrew couldn't really relate to these people, he brought them to Jesus. We pass strangers every day. We see them at the gas station. We see them at the store. They come to where we're employed, to our place of business. I'm not saying we can give a tract to every person we see. I don't think that's feasible. I'm not saying we can give a gospel presentation to everyone we see. I don't think that's feasible. But I want to meet some strangers this Saturday that I don't know, that may live a life that I don't understand, and may have hardships that you and I can't even describe. But I want to see some young people come to Jesus. I want to see some parents come to Jesus. That doesn't happen while we sit here. I'm thankful to sit here. Well, doesn't seem like I've been doing a lot of sitting lately today. But I'm thankful they have the opportunity to sit here. But that doesn't happen when we sit here. It happens on Saturday. It happens on Saturday when we have outreach. But it also happens Monday through Friday. When we meet people that only you can influence. Andrew is known as a man who brought people to Jesus Christ. The need is urgent. The hour is upon us. The time's at hand. Things aren't getting better out there. They're getting worse. Jesus is coming back. We don't know that we have tomorrow to share the gospel with some of these folks. And there's some things I believe that we as a church need to do. I'm going to present some of these tonight. I'm going to talk to you tonight in what I would kind of call a fireside chat with you. And no, I'm not FDR and I won't have a radio microphone here tonight. But I want to give you a little bit of a fireside chat and talk to you a little bit about us as a church. And some things I think we should do and some things I think I should do as a church, some things that were brought to my attention by our brother, Pastor Townsley, and some things that I've always known, but some things I think that are quite important. I want to talk to you about that tonight in reference to this. And, it, and it's interesting that, that God already had us go in this direction anyway. I mean, Peter was last week. Here we are this week. It's almost like the Lord's in control of all this. Amen. So I hope you come back tonight. It, it, it would mean a lot to me if you come back tonight and hear my heart about this from the Word. But what happens if we aren't willing to be humble, magnetic servants like Andrew? Well, Pastor, I couldn't get up and preach, preach, preach like you. Well, one, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't know. Uh, but, but you may not feel that. You may not be a Peter. That's okay. Be an Andrew. It's okay to not be a Peter. Be an Andrew. Bring people to Jesus. But if we don't, the problems are dire. Consider this. 
This happened just six years ago in Somerville. You might have heard of this in the news six years ago. Officials at the parent company of Somerville Hospital apologized Wednesday night for not meeting, quote, our own standards of transparency and accountability in the death of Laura Levis, who went to the emergency room during a severe 2016 asthma attack and found the door locked. Levis's asthma attack occurred before dawn on the morning of September 16, 2016. Levis's attack led her to Somerville Hospital, but she never made it through the door. She lived just a few blocks away and decided that it would be easier for her to walk uh, to try to get there and got to the door, a door that was for ambulances, and found it locked. It's according to the Globe. Laura made it to the doorstep of the emergency room that day on her own two feet, just as she said in her dying words. She stared through a plate glass window into the emergency room waiting area. She could see the red and white emergency room sign inside, but she could not get in. To her dismay, the door was locked. She had walked up to the door for ambulances, which had been locked, but couldn't get to the patient entrance. She likely couldn't see the sign telling her to get to the patient entrance because an exterior light was broken. Her attack intensified. She called 911, telling the operator she was right there, but could not get in. Help was literally a few feet away on the other side of that door. But incredibly, that help never came in time. They found her. Ten days later, she died. She was 34. Somerville, right up the road. She was so close to her salvation. An asthma attack. She needed a nebulizer. She needed the most basic medication she could have needed, and she would have lived. But the door was locked. The people who heard the call didn't respond in time, and she perished. As tragic as that is physically, could I remind you that something similar could happen spiritually here at Liberty Baptist Church? Shame on us if people come here and see the doors locked. You say, well, well we open the doors on Sunday. Oh, no, no. I mean, we come in and we're locked to the needs of the unsaved. We're locked to them. Well, we'll let them come in. We'll let them drink our coffee. Oh, we'll play nice. We'll be polite. But while on their way out, we have no intention of giving them the gospel. We have no intention trying to invest in them. We have no intention sitting beside them and talking to them and, and asking them about their life and trying to go because we're too busy doing our own things. And we have, we have too busy talking to our cliques and we're too busy uh, getting our own things done. And we're too busy making sure that the service is ready. So I got to be here and there and everywhere uh, making sure that all these things are going. And we miss someone who is literally gasping for air. And we miss it. And when the call comes, maybe we don't respond. Or maybe we're too late. Before you know it, they've slipped into eternity. You say, oh, pastor, I mean, that, that, that's a tragedy, but, but what you're talking about, it's not that serious. No, it's actually even more serious. Absolutely. Because what we're talking about here, as tragic it is, and, and to be honest with you, the only word that I can think of about that is disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting what happened, that someone's life would be taken away because of negligence on every level. But we are negligent when we are not the Andrews that God has called us to be, to bring the family, the children, the Gentiles, the strangers. All three of those groups are some of the hardest people to bring to Jesus. Family, children, and people that we don't understand. But every single one of them, Andrew was an example of bringing people to Jesus. You may not be electric, that's okay. Will we be magnetic? 
There is no life that's better than being able to have the testimony of saying this, I am willing to bring people to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.